Welcome back, Action Alerts Plus subscribers and AAP podcast listeners. Chris Versace here, and I have to tell you, I'm very excited to bring back Jack Trong to talk with us today. Uh, as you may know from the great conversation we had last year on this very podcast, uh, Jack has been the CEO at James Hardy. He was also the president and CEO of Electrolux North America. And of course, he had uh, you know a number of years over at 3M, uh, doing a lot of great work there. And, and our conversation was really all-encompassing, and I liked it quite a bit because Jack brings the perspective of what's going on inside the company, helping us to understand what is going on in the outside world and how we can use that as we think about what's going on in that world as investors. So I'm very happy to have Jack back today. Uh, here we are just towards the end of January 2024. We've still got 11 months to go. Uh, we have a lot going on in terms of earnings coming up. We've got um, the Fed and questions over how many interest rates it might have. I'm sure Jack's going to have some interesting thoughts on that. But then later in the year, we have, of course, the presidential election. So a lot to cover in a short amount of time. So folks, with that, uh, let's start talking with Jack Trong. So Jack, thanks for joining me again. Really appreciate having you here. I know you're out there in snowy Chicago. Uh, how are things? So things are, are very good, Chris. So thank you for having me on the show. It's very good to be back to share with you some of the things that we see. Excellent, excellent. Well, you know, you you heard the uh, the introduction that I gave Jack, and I, obviously, I want to start with you know your perspective on the world, the economy, the Fed, uh, and I, I want to do this because you know typically we as investors are amassing a lot of data points, we're listening to earnings conference calls, company presentations, but I, I know you like to really share your insights. So so kind of with that. What do you see about the the pace of the economy across the U.S. or across the globe? And you know, I'll, I'll just tee it right up. How many rate cuts do you think we're going to get from the Fed well, this Chris, year? I think this, this year, Jack. Sorry, this year, yes, in twenty twenty four, Chris. What I see is really, I would say, a maximum of three, and most likely two. Um, I think the if if you look at all, I think first we have to look at geopolitical situation. You know, we have a supply chain issue that really emerging right now in the Red Sea with all the uh, conflicts going on there. Um, that would certainly put a lot of pressure on uh, costs. And uh, it, it, if particularly if you look at the trend line of inflation in the U.S., and we we made some great stride. Uh, from June of 2022, when the inflation rate was 9.1%, and then reduced down to around uh, July 2023, around 3.2%-ish. But then it's been really been quite sticky around the 3, 3.5% uh, uh, since July of 2023. And uh, with, so that means that is uh, inflation, we still have a lot of work to do. And so I, I would think it's uh, quite uh, premature. Uh, to having any rate cuts, but also this is also the election year, and uh, there could be some uh, pressure for, <laughs> to the Fed, I guess, to um, uh, to uh, make some rate cuts. So I think that's uh, maximum. I, I would say three, most likely two. 
And and when so I I agree with you, right? So the the, the Red Sea is kind of this issue that's been bubbling up, if you will. We know um, shipping rates have elevated considerably. We we're starting to hear about uh, companies uh, like Tesla who had to dial back production, but also a company like Tractor Supply that said, "Wow, we're going to be impacted anywhere from two days to three weeks, maybe more, because of what's going on. We we can't get our deliveries." And, and you know when I hear just two companies like that, it says to me that, well, these can't be the only two companies. I think we're going to hear a lot about this in the upcoming earnings season. But I also agree with you that it's another tailwind, if you will, for further pronounced progress on inflation. And I agree, Jack, as well. We're probably going to see two to three rate cuts this year. But here's the thing. When do you think Fed Chair Powell is going to take the podium and talk about that first rate cut. Do you think that's going to be in the second quarter or maybe early third quarter? Probably most likely to uh, to the end of the summer, Chris, uh, because what he's going to see, what all of us are going to see, is that the inflation rate uh, going forward. I mean, at least the next uh, several months is still sticking around that three-ish percent range, and uh, with a lot with a lot more risk. You know, a lot of us talk about the. Uh, what's going on with the uh, supply chain issues or disruptions in the Red Sea. But please don't forget, there's another illumined conflicts in the, the Far East, in the Taiwan Straits. And uh, what I, I think I'm more concerned about that than what's going on in the Red Sea right now. Uh, if, if you think about, you know, um, 30% of global trades pass through the, uh, that South China Sea area compared to around 12 to 14 percent in the Red Sea. And and a lot of what um, uh, we uh, no, we import a lot of items from China and that part of the world. And uh, if, if there is some disruptions there, just take a little bit of disruption that would just create significant uh, problems uh, uh, right here in the U.S. And of, of course, also in Europe. So, so you say you're watching it. You know, we obviously this is something that um, you know has been bandied about. You know, in the headlines between uh, Taiwan being independent, China looking to kind of pull it back in. So they say. Um, but what are the odds? Do you think that we see some type of conflict? You know, arise from that. You know, in 2024, again, as you pointed out, it's an election year. There's going to be a lot of jawboning from both sides about what they may or may not do. Potentially, this could be a hot topic for them. Oh, it is. I mean, certainly, uh, it's already started with the. Uh, you know, Taiwan just had the election just a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. and um, I think the candidate, uh, the president elect, was um, is someone that came from the party that's uh, more aligned to the U.S. than China. So that would further uh, exacerbate the issues that uh, we see today. So I would anticipate that uh, as we move forward, um, that um, the conflict will will, will continue to, uh, um, to accelerate, particularly right now with the election going on in the U.S. And there's a lot of, uh, uh, right now, uh, certainly there's a lot of, um, disruption from outside and we're not able to pay attention to what's going on over there as well. So I think uh, it is something that that we watch very closely because that will cause some disruption, uh, not only in the consumer goods and and industrial goods, but also a very important part of semiconductor. Remember, we, uh, I mean, in Taiwan, they manufacture 60% of the global chips and if any little disruptions there that would have a 
shockwave effect rippling through the whole economy because everything we do now depends on chips. Totally, totally agree. You and I talked about that the last time you were on about how uh, the embedding of chips and the greater functionality in appliances and a whole host of other connect devices is really spurring that on. But you are right too there, Jack, because if we think about what Taiwan Semiconductor said last week and the response that we got to that very uh, favorable outlook for 2024, they, they said roughly 20% um, uh, top line growth because of continued growth in connected devices, data center, and of course, AI. Uh, if something happens, that would almost be akin in if something happens um, in the Taiwan Straits like you're talking about, that could potentially uh, pull the psychological rug out, if you will, on some of those names. So it it does bear watching. And, and I am a little concerned that as I think this through with you, that we, we have a little bit of a shell game going on. If you think about it on the geopolitical front, right? What's going on with Israel and Hamas? What's going on over in the Red Sea, right? What's What what else is going on? There's still Ukraine, Russia, and now, of course, you're, you're talking about this other one as well. It, it becomes very difficult, um, you know, to, I hate to use this word, but police all of that, especially when we're stretched not only thin in terms of forces, but it also, you know, we, we potentially have to rearm ourselves, which as I think about it, could be favorable for the likes of, you know, General Dynamics, Northrop Grumman, Lockheed Martin, those type of businesses. But but let's let, let's get back to the topic here, Jack, because you know, we, we started talking about the Fed. You see two to three rate increases. The market for some strange reason still sees five to six. I agree with you. But we know your expertise is in the housing market, Jack. So, you know, there's been some concern about the housing market that higher mortgage rates might, you know, dull the speed of the housing market. But um, I know you think differently. So I'm going to ask you flat out. If we only get two to three rate increase, sorry, rate cuts by the Fed, not increases, rate cuts, 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 cuts. Is, is that enough? to spur the housing market back into action, or is there something else that has to happen? Yeah, of course, I think that's a, that's a very good question. Yeah, I, I have been analyzing this for the last uh, many years, and uh, yeah, with, with just a little uh, cuts, uh, two, three uh, cuts by, by the Fed this year is not gonna make a dent within the housing market. The issue we have today is, really, I mean, think about this supply and demand. And and if, if you look at from from the demand side, uh, the the group that uh, really need to buy homes are really the millennial because they are they're about they're about 28 to 44 years old that they, they start to have um, kids and and uh, and the growing family and those those that is the group that need homes sing particularly single family home but right now that groups already represent 50 they only have 50 percent of them are actually buy home comparing to um, the 75% to 80% of Gen X and baby boomers actually own homes. The reason that the millennials haven't been able to buy homes is that because, you know, a lot of them has really been stressed uh, and strapped for cash. Um, and um, so it's, it's really the demand is not there. Um, and if, if you go and look at the supply side, um, you know, I think for the last couple of years, um, existing home sales are hanging around four mil millions a year. Uh, that should be around five, six mil million homes to really get the right um, housing market back in balance. Um, and uh, you know, lately, a lot of those homeowners are reluctant to sell their home because they don't want to trade up their uh, in 
interest rate uh, in, in the mortgage. Right. Uh, but I think a much bigger issue is happening is that uh, during COVID, a lot of exodus from the uh, of homeowners from the urban area to the um, suburbs, and that means that, and that kind of drove up the price artificially. And because of that, a lot of homeowners think that their price is actually a lot higher than it should be, and also they are reluctant to sell. Um, but as we look forward for the next, um, I would say, nine to three months to three years out, there are going to be a huge influx of home that are going to be dropping to the marketplace. One is that um, the term that's been called in the housing market right now is a silver tsunami. And that is the group of baby boomers between the age of 60 and 79 years old that are getting ready to retire. And that means that they're going to downsize. And that means that they will be putting their homes up for sale and then move into a smaller homes. And that's a lot of homes that to be released into the marketplace. And that would give a lot more of the supply. And then second is that a lot of the individual investors who've been buying homes um, during, during the past few years for Airbnb or for rent rentals, and now they will be forced to, to sell those homes because uh, Airbnb has been saturated and it's no longer economical for them to keep those homes. And also the so, third part too. Yep. Let, let, me, let me ask you, just jump in two questions there. So um, with the Airbnb, the Verbo, like you're talking about, um, it seems to me that, you know, Coming out of the pandemic, there was a lot of flexibility and working, but we're seeing a lot of companies trying to pull people back into the office, even on a part-time basis, uh, you know, we call it hybrid working, if you will. Um, I think this has something to do with why you're going to see folks kind of release some of these Airbnb homes because they can't make the income that they thought they could, you know, one, two years ago. Correct. That that is exactly is the um, re reason that a lot of these um, investors, individual investors who own Airbnb home, to actually release the home into the mar marketplace. Um, plus another uh, another phenomenon that will happen this year is that you know there can be about roughly seven hundred fifty thousand units of uh, multifamily that will be released into the marketplace that have been have been built during the past few years, and that is the biggest. Uh, influx of new multifamily units in, into the market since the mid-1970s. And so all of a sudden, you can see a lot of the supply out into the marketplace, and that would further reduce um, the rents into the marketplace. And, um, and and that will really spur a lot more supplies in the marketplace. And, and then so the price will go down, and that would also then help um, the millennial to start to uh, to get into the housing markets. Um, and then you, you, if you think about the baby boomers that now they have to sell the home they have now to, and then move into a, an, into a downsize home. So what I also see then is that uh, a lot more demand for condominiums, a lot more demand for, I, I would call quote unquote starter homes because they probably wouldn't want to downsize. So the, the housing markets will really change quite a bit. Uh, I, I would say beginning to um, 2025 onwards. That's so. Okay. So it so sounds to me anyone like anyone out there that looking to buy homes, uh, wait because uh, <laughs> the, price will, the price will drop. I think that that's so, the biggest determination. So I, I agree with you, and there's been a lot of data on housing affordability. 
right? And I, I, I think that there's there's two parts to that, or there's really three parts to that. There, there's the price of the home, which I, I agree with you that as the more supply comes on, we should see home prices come down. There's this other component, mortgage rates, which, you know, maybe it's three, uh, two to three rate cuts this year, perhaps more by the Fed in 2025. So they become incrementally um, less expensive. But the other part of it, Jack, is the down payment, which means that folks need to save in order to have that 10%, 20% down payment. And I, I just think that, you know, when you look at the data in terms of savings rates that have been falling, you look at the amount of credit card debt that people have, uh, I, I think it's going to take some time um, to reach that 80% level of ownership that you're talking about for uh boomers and Gen Xers compared to millennials, right? I, I think you're right that we'll see some improvement. I just don't see that gap closing, you know, ever so quickly. Um, yeah, I, you, I think you were, you were right on the spot right there. But I think there's one, one other thing that will happen is that as the baby boomer parents of those millennials start to downsize and, uh, and then they, there is, there's also data showing that um, those baby boomer parents actually then help their millennial kids to uh, uh, to really start to buy the homes. Um, and if you look at these statistics, uh, you know, the ba baby boomers as a generation, you know, they own roughly 53% of the wealth in the country, whereas the millennial is about 6%. <laughs> um, so, so it is. It is a uh, you know, so as a baby boomer parents now. It is you know if we look at all the economic data, that is probably the most wealthy generation of our in our history, I guess. Uh, you know, so as they retire and as downsize, and so then then that will be the opportunity for them to really help out with their um, millennial kids. So be kind to your in-laws and your parents. It's always a good rule to follow. Absolutely. <laughs> the the other thing the other thing I will say, Jack, that as the supply comes on, um, it stands to reason that we should see kind of a pickup in um, the repair remodel market as well, right? Because you don't simply just go, ah, I'm going to put my house on the market. You know, you're you're going to do things to kind of spiff it up, if you will. Correct. So this could be a positive for whether it's companies that make appliances, cabinets, paint, and related items, kind of the, the fixing up, correct? Correct. You know, it is a, uh, the repair and remodeling market is really dependent heavily on the sales of existing homes. You know, so, uh, you know, as, as we move into, uh, as you buy an existing home, you want to change out the kitchen, you you want to refinish your the exterior of your home, or put in a deck. And, and that's just where um, the repair and remodel market is tied a lot more to the um, sales of existing homes. So just to give you a reference, I mean, right now, there's about 4 million existing home sales a year, whereas we have roughly... 600 to 700 homes, new homes been sold to the market. So we see that the, the opportunity is a lot more with the sales of existing homes. So if that 4 million homes a year been sold of its, for existing homes increased to 5 or 6 million, which is kind of the uh, historical average during the last decade, that's when that would spur the um, growth of the repair and remodel. Okay. 
Okay. Is there, um, as you're looking at these things, the, these are not something that are going to, there's a um, immediate uh, switch that's going to be thrown, right? You're, you're looking for a couple things to kind of come together and this is going to happen, let, let's say more in quarters to years, correct? Not not weeks and months. So what what is it you're watching, Jack, to you know kind of confirm your thesis here? Is there, is there any particular data points? Yeah, I mean, that's an excellent point because there's so much noise out there right, right now. So the key is really look at the right signal. I think there are a lot of folks now look, looking at, uh, at the inflation rate, they're looking at the interest rate, but a, a lot of those are, are backward looking. I think what uh, was really important for uh, for the investors, as well as the, uh, those who look to buy a home, is really uh, look at the uh, price of homes the trend of price of existing home sales in the market that you want to um, uh, want to participate in. I think right now, when um, when I look at the price of home existing home sales in different mar markets, we see where where is it is actually showing an increase or decrease. Uh, for example, right now, Austin, Texas, and that's really been the price there have been growing, but for the last year, it has been dropping. In fact, it's about dropping around ten plus percent right now. So it's mean that the market is start to, to to be in equilibrium and start to um, to have more uh, supply com coming out. And then that's where you start to see more um, homeowners, potential homeowners that would go in and buy. Is there a point in the price that you're tracking in existing home sales where all of a sudden it goes from, wow, this is good news, becoming more affordable to, oh, my goodness, something wrong is emerging in the housing market how how, how do you identify that line where you go well, you think, know so so there's so you you don't you don't become oh no i think it's really it's really come come back to the 2019 2018 level that is kind of the uh, it's sort of a fair price for for homes in the in the u.s market and of course you got to look at from re region to region uh, to be comparable now it's interesting you say that because I was talking with um, somebody today, and we were talking about home builders, and I, I made two comments. One of which is slightly dated, but it used to be when the house, when the home builder market was far more fragmented, right? You would want to focus on individual home builders that were benefiting from faster job creation in, in their largest areas, right? Because interest rates be damned, job creation is really at the time what drove housing. Now we've seen the housing market consolidate among the builders, so there's a lot more national builders. But the other comment that I made was, if I'm gonna start looking for home builders, I want folks that are uh, probably gravitating towards the Sun Belt. Right, that is where we're seeing population go. That is where we're seeing jobs being created. That's where, and we've had some uh, guests on the podcast in the form of uh, REITs and restaurants. That's where they're going for the growth. So it stands to reason that that might be where we want to think about which home builders are better positioned. Again, in the Sun Belt. Do you agree? Correct. And I think I can also add in two more uh, to that. Would be one is that. Um, that you want to also look for the builders that also uh, start to build more of the affordable homes. But that mm -hmm. is a very, very important part of the uh, housing market growth going forward. 
because of the reason that we talked about before with the millennials and also with the baby boomers that downsize. And second is that, you know, you know, we, we all of us hear about the um, the job re report every month, but we have to really mm -hmm. look one or two layer beneath it because um, you have to look at the uh, professional job growth not just the overall job growth because if, if you can appeal the onions if you look at 2023 it's supposed to be overall a good job growth year but you guess guess what 60 percent of the job growth that really come from government jobs from social assistance job and hospitality and leisure which is really about low-paying jobs and while as a country we lose those the job for the professionals the high-paying job manufacturing jobs is actually uh, decline in 2023. Um, so it's important for us to look at, and if you look at the Sun Belt, yes, that's where a lot of the professional jobs growth really come from. Um, and um, and that's a, those are the two key areas I want to look at as we uh, identify who are the ones going to win. I, I agree, Jack. It's, uh, you know, not every job is a job. You know, we're not politicians. We're not touting for that. We're we, we need to, as you, to use your words, peel the onion, go below the headline number and really understand what's going on. Um, so as we think about all of this in the backdrop, you know, the economy looks like it might be hitting that glide path. You know, I, I think from a market perspective, there is going to be a rethink that's going on for two things. I've talked about this uh, with, with the AAP subscribers. Uh, I am a little concerned about earnings expectations. They seem a little lofty at 11%. I think they're going to come down for uh, the S&P 500 basket, call it more like 5 to 7%. I do think the market also has to rethink uh, the number of rate cuts we're going to get. You and I seem to agree it's more like 2 to 3, not 5 to 6 um, but is there anything else out there that's kind of looming on the horizon that either has you concerned or do you think could surprise to the upside for the economy? And, and you know, we, we, we did talk about the Red Sea and we, I agree with you on, on those implications as well. So any, anything else out there? Well, I think, um, I think going for, forward in 2024 and 25, I think the theme should be more about risk management. And uh, because you look at the... Uh, uh, the uh, growth and also the profit growth of um, of a lot of S P five hundred companies, maybe except for the A I related companies, uh, but it's really driven by the uh, uh, consumers spending a lot more than they actually have, and and also with the government spending, um, and I think a lot of things that we should be talking more about debt, uh, debt by the um, federal government as well as the consumer debt. Um, and and that just cannot continue to balloon. Um, uh, and I, I am, and, and that is an area that um, that we've been looking a lot more closely and and and, and trying to assess what the uh, potential growth in, in the market going forward. I you know it's uh, I've also I've often joked that if the federal government was on a Mastercard or Visa credit card, it would have been cut in half a long time ago, <laughs> right? But 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 you are right though. I mean, there are some programs out there, some of the stimulus programs for infrastructure, the Chips Act, the Inflation Reduction Act, and even public safety spending. That I, I think there are areas of companies that will continue to benefit from that. I, I do I, I do hear what you're saying though about overall federal government spending. 
as far as the consumer goes, look, they are out over their skis. You know, we, we've been positioned in more companies like PepsiCo, McDonald's, and um, Costco, uh, which, I mean, every time I've been in Costco, it's the, the line is unbelievable. Um, and I do think people are continuing to try and stretch their dollars. But, you know, if, if you are right that we've got to, you know, really address overall spending or consumer spending comes in, you know, that's directly and directly two thirds of the economy. Right. There's there, there's going to be a, a hard, a hard issue. Um, do you think this suggests that, you know, maybe the calls for a soft landing might be a little hopeful or, or do you think we can still pull off the soft landing? Well, I think I think we're still going to have soft landing until at least the uh, past the election. Uh, because if you look at um, our G- GDP today, right, 68 percent is driven by consumer consumption and maybe 17, 18 percent driven by government spending, um, which is like 85, 86 percent of our GDP is really driven by consumer and federal spending. Um, so I, you know, I think there's going to be more uh, spending in, injected within the governments uh, up until election. I think since the last time you and I talked. Uh, our national debt went from $31.5 trillion to now more than $34 trillion. Um, so, yeah, so a lot of money is really been pumped into the markets just to prop up the uh, GDP and then uh, and uh, artificial get, artificially get some, some of that growth. And I don't know how long that's going to continue. I think it depends on, on who's going to win the election. I think that's going to change quite a bit. Um, well, you know, you're kind of setting yourself up for this one, Jack. Um, any early predictions on the election? Well, based on uh, some of the news that happened yesterday, it looked like it's going to be the uh, rematch between Trump and Biden. Um, and uh, if um, and if, if you see the poll, I mean, that uh, most likely Trump will win the election. And uh, with the Congress winning the um, or holding the majority in Congress, Hopefully, then um, that we will be a lot more fiscally responsible and um, and managed um, the spending correctly. And I, you, you mentioned the Chip Act. I, I mm-hmm. love the Chip Act. I love the Infrastructure um, Act because essentially you take money, uh, taxpayer money, and invest in uh, in the country of making things and building things uh, because we need to start building things here in the U.S. and start to manufacture things that we use and to export, because that is what's going to drive the economy, the true economy, as opposed to um, taking tax money and give uh, money to people for stimulus, of which then people go out and go down to the next store and buy something that has been uh, manufactured overseas. And that doesn't really help the economy. Um, and that's just really, hopefully, that we have a lot more of those uh, investment with taxpayer money uh, in in building out uh, new infrastructure and help out companies uh, to manufacture real value, high value products here in the U.S. I I certainly hope that that's the case too. And we we know that you know we're really in the second year of the Biden infrastructure law with dollars flowing. The Chips Act, we're we're just starting to see dollars start to flow. That too is a multi year program and perhaps maybe maybe at some point we'll see some ev charging station dollars released we will see um you know <laughs> but it's interesting it, it, you know we're it, it's just interesting with that just on a side note that um 
you know, it does look like that the market, uh, whether it's Ford, Stellantis, or some others, are are slowly backing away from the EV market, at least for now. So that that will be interesting to see how the Biden agenda kind of plays out on that front. Um, Jack, before we get out of here today, any any parting comments? Any parting thoughts? Well, I- yeah, so I'm well. First of all, I'm uh, t- 2024 will be a very interesting year. Um, I still think that we will have a soft landing up until to the end of uh, this year. Um, and um, one one thing that that we really the theme that we look for is really about risk management uh, to make sure that we we don't get into all of this euphoria of uh, of really the um, record. Um, stock prices or the market prices and and lose sight of what can happen because all it takes is just one uh, thing happen geopolitically that can uh, turn everything upside down. I am concerned about all the euphoria about uh, AI um, and uh, and particularly when we are so dependent on uh, semiconductor chips manufacturer uh, overseas like potentially can be disrupted. And if that disrupted, that whole economy and the market will be severely disrupted. Um, and so that's something that I'm uh, really uh, paying a lot of attention to. Okay, okay. Well, Jack, you'll have to come back. You're you're uh, a great guest. You offer like tremendous insight, particularly on the housing market. And, you know, we're gonna wanna check back with you, you know, probably in, I would say the second half of the year to see where you are, to see if the thesis is tightening, coming together. Um, and whether or not you see the housing market and related markets as well kind of taking off after the election. What do you say? I look forward to it, Chris. It's been a great discussion with you. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you, Jack. We will have you on again soon. And members and listeners, that is our AAP podcast for today. Thanks for listening. Thank you.